Screaming Queens is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. Yes, it would be nice. What would? You and I making love. Is that what you think I was thinking? There's nothing wrong with admitting that you want me, Frank. Welcome to Sleazy Queens, the Screaming Queens queer horror podcast, non-horror queer spin-off. Um, <laughs> as regular listeners will know, Screaming Queens, the horror podcast, covers everything in the horror canon, from the camp classics to the trashy, obscure oddities. But on the sides, we like to talk about films that don't quite fit into the horror bracket, like sleazy films, queer films, trashy films, um, horrible films that don't happen to be horror. And tonight's film is plenty horrible to fit into that little bit here. Um, so picture it, 1992, the erotic thriller subgenre was in full swing. Basic Instinct had spread its legs for the cinema-going public and they were flocking to it in their droves. Whilst Sharon Stone won accolades and misogynist haste for her career-defining turn as femme fatale Catherine Trammell, queen of controversy Madonna was giving pop music a tongue-in-cheek thrashing with a one-two-foot punch-foot of the erotica album and the sex book. All filthy things come in threes, cough, cough, and not content with proudly exploring her sexuality in music and literature, Madonna decides to straddle celluloid in her continuing mission to conquer Hollywood and whip up a storm of publicity for good measure. Fortuitous, then, that a script landed at her door concerning an unashamed, empowered, sexually liberated woman on trial for murder, the victim, a rich old man, the weapon, her bodacious body, a match made in pop culture heaven, right? Wrong. Madonna's track record with the big screen has more welts and wounds than Willem Dafoe's chest after a hot night with the candle wax. The movie opened to terrible reviews, became a financial flop, and hammered another nail into Madonna's film career coffin. So how did we end up with the car crash we got? Let's examine the evidence. The body of evidence. <laughs> see what you did there. See what I did there. <laughs> see what you did there. I'm Jonathan Larkin, and tonight I am very happy to announce I'm joined by Screaming Queen's original Martin Fennerty. Hello, Martin. Hello. Hello. And we are also joined by a special guest star tonight, <laughs> who I've been trying to get on the show since the show was created, but um, basically his fee was too high. And now in the desperation of lockdown, he's come to us for free, <laughs> cheaper than ever. And, Absolutely. Uh, so, And he also happens to be a big Madonna fan too. So our special guest tonight is queer artist, Ben Uden. Hello, Ben. Good evening. This is really phony because we're actually married. Need to put this in. No, you didn't. Oh, God. I was a, I was about to say about bloody time, not about and not about you being married. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say that was a while ago. So Ben, um, so uh, regular listeners will know the image that we use for Screaming Queens on our iTunes and stuff is that image of um, of Janet Lee screaming in the fa- very famous 
psycho shower scene. Uh, it's a piece of art made up of mixed media and collage. And Ben is actually responsible for that piece of work. I am. That is correct. Yes. So Ben is um, a big Madonna fan, like me and Martin. And just this weekend, he's also been described as a uh, somebody who hunts for cheap thrills and shocks using sex and religion. <laughs> This this is this is spookily true. I, I can't claim to be. I can't claim to be as uh, influential as Madonna, of course. He's also been called the Madonna of Liverpool, <laughs> and he's also been called an abomination. Oh, I have. Okay. I have indeed. I can't help but agree with all of those things. Well, you know. Yeah, I can't deny it. So you know, social media speaks only the truth, as we know. <laughs> you can but try, can't you? Ben? Well, you know, I think I think it's. I think it's important to have an aspiration in life, yeah. isn't it? And, uh, and you, know, to, you know, I think Scouse Madonna and an abomination are uh, feathers in my cap. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> better, to have the, you've got to have, better to have a reaction than indifference. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, full disclosure up front, the three of us are big Madonna fans. Um, me and Martin have bonded through our love of Madonna, and mine and Ben's marriage has only been strengthened by our, <laughs> our love well, of I Madonna. Think, I think that's true. I think you and Martin have a much more uh, encyclopedic knowledge and uh, for, uh, about particular details. That's that's for sure. But uh, but yes, she I've I've followed her career closely as well. There are plenty of Madonna centric podcasts out there, so we'll try not to just gush about the Queen of Pop throughout the the entirety of this episode we are actually talking about a film as well um so the film body of evidence in 1992 or 93 depends on what you read um it was released in america in january 93 and the uk in april 93 uh, and it stars madonna it stars willem dafoe joe mantegna julianne moore Anne Archer, Jürgen Prochnov, and Frank Langella. And it was directed by a German director, Uli Edel, who gave us last exit to Brooklyn. And he also, I read today, he directed an episode of Oz. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Homoerotic prison drama that we've all found formative in one way or another. Oh, most definitely. I saw, I went, I ended up in a bit of an, an Uli Edel um, internet <laughs> rabbit hole. Oh, God. And I realised that this was his last feature film in Hollywood ah. for 70, until the year 2000. Right. <laughs> it's not known to giving town, is it? <laughs> but one of, his, one of the highlights is he had a career in television. Yeah. Um, and he did a special called Rasputin, um, Master of Darkness, which just oh. made me think of that. I really want to search that out and look, and look at it. It got a Golden Globe. For the really? best, yeah, it got a Golden Globe in '97 for the best TV miniseries slash film. Oh, wow. The same Golden Globes that Madonna got um, her Golden Globe for best actress in a musical. Oh, that's quite nice, isn't that's, it? That's yeah, a nice sort of full a good link. Mm-hmm. Link, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. That is interesting. Um, but before things got nice, things got really nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the film. Stars, as we said, it stars Madonna as Rebecca Carlson, who is a gallery owner in Portland, Oregon. And she has a, a taste for rich old men. And one night she's uh, she's shagging this old guy and he dies of a heart attack mid-coitus. <laughs> and 
basically the finger is pointed at Rebecca that she used her body as a weapon to kill him. She knew he had a weak heart and uh, essentially they find out that he left a lot of money to her in his will. So it's basically the, the plot of the film is, did she kill him on purpose? And she ends up in a torrid uh, S&M type affair with her lawyer, Frank, who's played by Willem Dafoe. And um, yeah, that that's essentially the plot, really. <clears throat> oh, there's a plot? Well, yeah. <laughs> How many times would you say you've watched this film? Oh, God. I'm probably, I, it's impossible to say. I've probably watched it at least once a year. Yeah. <laughs> On average, since 1993, <laughs> possibly more. <laughs> you are a real fan. I do. You see, I'm not just a Madonna fan of Madonna's music. I do quite like her films more than the average person. I'm not so self. I'm not so so unaware that a lot of it is a pile of shit. <laughs> and this is, and this, you, know, and this film is by Simply. no means brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it's not painful like Shanghai Surprise. No, this is very true. This is very true. Um, ben, how many times would you say you've seen it? Maybe not quite as many as Martin, but probably at least 10, I would say. Yeah. But probably more, actually, if I think about it. Yeah, probably more. I, I remember watching it. Uh, I had it on video as a teenager. But also off the TV. Oh, off the, off the TV. Yeah. yeah, off the TV. Yeah. And I used to watch it. Once in a while, then yeah, uh, and yeah, so maybe not quite as many, but a similar amount. Yeah, I'd say I've seen it probably five or six times. I haven't seen it as much as either of you. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Gosh. It sort of passed me by because so it came out around the same time as um, like erotica and the sex book mm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And I, whilst I had quite a happy childhood, I also had like my parents were always very sort of. They were all right with a bit of violence, but anything sexual, they just didn't <laughs> approve of in the slices. So I've been a big fan of Madonna from 1985 when I saw the Virgin tour up until 1991, 92. And then when she went down the erotica sex route, basically she was branded a shameless slut in our house and I kind of wasn't allowed to listen to her or, or watch oh. any of her things. Mm. Um, and also I was discovering my sexuality at that time as well and I was terrified of it and I was terrified of anything that might hint at what I was what I was hiding. So basically she yeah. was shunned for a few years and then I sort of came back to her through bedtime stories in Evita when she was respectable again. <laughs> and then the clothes back on. And yeah, and then it's only as I've got older and become a you know a, a, a proud deviant that I've gone back and embraced everything. So mm. it was formative years. I didn't watch it as much as many Madonna fans probably did. Yeah. Um but I always knew that it was you know, it was known for being awful. She was known for being awful in it. And it was meant to be a cheap rip-off of Basic Instinct. So I always kind of got that. And then when I first watched it, I thought, oh, yeah, all of those things are true. <laughs> well, um, I have to see, she carried the can for this film. And she's not the only bad thing in this film. Or yeah. bad actor. Yeah. Oscar winner Julianne Moore doesn't do herself any favours. She really doesn't. Willem Dafoe doesn't do himself any no, favours. No. The script doesn't do itself any favours. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the worst offender, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. When you watch it, the thing about this film is it's... it's And the thing about all of Madonna's films throughout her career, um, especially the ones that were really panned, you, when you actually watch them, you do have a sense of 
oh, all right, she's not great, but she's not te- she's not terrible the way people talk, the way people mm-hmm. say. Um, and that's that's the case with this. I think the film is quite crap, but she's not the worst thing in it. Basically, she she'd never she was never ever going to be a great actress or even a good actress. Yeah, I think she's too much of a force of nature to ever be able to be to be directable. And that would have been, if she had been, <laughs> she could have been a competent actress that people would have been on board with. But I guess who could direct Madonna? But the film opened on a rainy night in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the stock 90s thriller sounds play uh, as a list of who's who of 90s erotic thrillers is sort of splashed on our screen. Uh, the music is by Graham Revel, and he gave us the, the soundtrack for The Hand That Rocks the Cradle as well. Amazing. Another stock 90s thriller. Mm. He also did Love Crimes and The Craft, which I was surprised by. Oh. Um, and it was funny because throughout this film, I was thinking the only thing missing from the soundtrack is Enigma because they popped up on all of the <laughs> erotic thrillers. But then, <laughs> I didn't but, know that. Yeah, but then I noticed that they used Enigma on the trailer. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They used Enigma? Enigma, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. Have you ever seen animals make love, Frank? It's intense. It's violent. We're not animals. Yes, we are. She is a beautiful woman. But when this trial is over, you will see her no differently than a gun or a knife or any other instrument used as a weapon. She is a killer. Frank, come on, give me a story here, Frank. Did you do it, Miss Carlson? Looks like she had him chewing on the wood. They weren't rope burns. She had him handcuffed. Do you think I killed him? That's a question I never ask my clients. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you want me, Frank. What did she do to you, Frank? How did you get those marks on your chest? What What are they? Fights? Wish me luck. The women hate me. They think I'm a whore. Men don't marry women like her. And the men see a cold, heartless bitch they can pay back for every chick that's ever blown them off in a bar. Sex was a game to her. I must have been out of my mind to get involved with you. Was she using a razor blade? I'm hard to resist. Nobody's looking. Walk away. As we go into the bedroom, we see close-ups on nipple clamps and then a video camera. And then we see Madonna, fully naked, doing a bit of reverse cowgirl cock riding, full titten and John screen. And um, But then we see that uh, she's actually, it's being played on a, on a television, so it's on, it's on video. But the video is being watched by the guy that she's having sex with. So we see that older guy watching, watching his home movies back, only he's dead. And then we get the police and the district attorney sort of coming around to investigate. And the minute they look at all of the kinky paraphernalia everywhere, um, questions start to be asked. The, the whole film is about exercising kink shaming, basically. It really is. It's so funny, all those police officers, you know, looking at that crime scene, yeah. naively picking up some you know, nipple clamps and asking what they are, and you know, look at the video camera and you think, are police officers really going to be that shocked? I know. 
I think you, not really you. You would think a homicide squad is uh, a homicide squad doing far seen. worse than some some nipple clamp uh, nipple clamps on a camera on a tripod. Absolutely, it's setting up that theme, isn't it? That essentially that sex and eroticism are bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I feel like perhaps the script was, um, or Madonna was perhaps attracted to the script because it was sold to her as a as a vehicle for. Um, like you were saying, John, in part of your introduction, a woman who's very much in control of her sexuality and unashamed and all, and all those sort of positive, sex positive aspects of um, the sort of themes that Madonna's other work of that period was exploring. But but the film more than falls short of that. It does, it, it does stray over into, like you say, into kink shaming and, and titillation more than... Um, portraying sex or, or that specifically that type of sex in a positive mm. light shall we say yeah the film that was made was not the film that she was hired to make essentially the ending yeah. the ending the ending especially yeah yeah so they set this up really they, they set up what the film is really well actually in that first scene because you've got yeah. the kink shaman coming from the police You've got, uh, you know, the kinky paraphernalia all over the room. And then you get conservative secretary, Anna Archer, coming in and saying she mm. killed him. Um, and she's like, just, <laughs> her and Julianne Moore are basically the two, the two faces of wholesome, conservative, buttoned-up America, aren't they? Basically, yeah. throughout this film. Respectability, the, I Respectability. Suppose, um, Although, and, not so much. The secretary is a turn. Well, yeah, with, yeah. Which, so I don't know if I'm jumping the gun. No, there. no. Um, <laughs> so Anne Archer is the yeah. So she pops up first, and yeah, we see that she's devastated by her boss dying, and she's accusing Madonna's character Rebecca of killing him. So then from there we move to the dead man's funeral, where Willem Dafoe he's Frank, and he's been hired to represent the kinky accused femme fatale, and there she is at the graveside grieving. So this is Rebecca Carlson. We see Madonna's being at the old tear stick. Um, she's got tears streaming down her face she's in a headscarf and a black coat uh, and she's sort of an unwelcome griever uh, as she says like you know his friends didn't even want me here so we see that the age gap between Rebecca and and the dead man and her kink have have sort of set alarm bells ringing yeah she looks she always looks great when she's she's um and she's buttoned up and trying to be conservative with you playing conservative Madonna um but she almost, she's playing, grieving, and she's not just, um, it's it's a little bit forced. So you know, you know that she's not really upset. So you're not convinced that that person is really upset. Yeah, yeah. In the way that an actual actress would make you feel like, yeah, they're, they, they're actually feeling some emotion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we see that the word is spreading, isn't it? Basically, that this um, you know cold-hearted, kinky young girl did this on purpose, and um, we we see this by uh, we follow Frank to his family dinner with his wife Sharon and his teenage son, and even the teenage son is saying stuff like, you know, he he was too old; they couldn't possibly have been in love. <laughs> and uh, this the teenage son has the classic line of, uh, "Dad, can you really screw someone to death?" Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where we sort of so we meet the family here don't we and they are very sort of middle class rich white Americans um, Julianne Moore owns the owns the restaurant doesn't she that they're eating in mm. that's um, right yeah and they're very yeah. upwardly mobile you know all, all very sort of uh, straight laced 
and you've got the shadow of this evil blonde vixen who's sort of looming over them. I feel like the casting was quite good there because the the young lad looks like he could be Willem Dafoe's son. <laughs> God bless yeah. him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that young lad blossomed in later life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let's let's hope you know. Let's hope he did. So we get a taste of the conservative view on on Rebecca here, and then it sort of takes up and she doesn't know when we go to the police station where she's being questioned by the DA, who's played by Joan Mantegna, who's um, famously Fat Tony from The Simpsons. He's questioning her, and he, you know, did you use car- cocaine? Did you know he had a heart condition? And mm-hmm. all this, and then she sort of she turns around and acts shocked, doesn't she? That he had the heart the heart condition. This is one of my favorite moments. Actually, it is like. It's, it makes me laugh and it's a glimpse of Madonna actually being quite a good actress and quite a good comic actress in a way. Because they ask her, um, they ask her if she's ever used cocaine and Frank says, cocaine is, is, illegal, is use is illegal in the state of Oregon. Or yeah. she answers, I've never used cocaine. In Oregon, and that just yeah. makes me smile. That bit. No, she is. She's good. Yeah, it does work. There are it? moments throughout the film where she has a real twinkle in her eye, actually, mm. um, and this is one of them. Um, and then, so she acts shocked that Andrew had a heart condition, and then when the DA says to her, "You know, well, why would he lie to you about that?" She has one of the famous lines from the film: "I never, I never know why men lie. They just do. Men lie." <laughs> Well, you can't argue with that, can you? you can't. Frank tries to shut, sort of cut the interview short and get her out of there. So before she can leave, they arrest her on the suspicion of murder. And they say they've got probable cause. There's a motive because basically it turns out in his will, he left Rebecca $8 million. But then again, but then again in the next scene, we realise she didn't know that either, or at least that's what she's telling us. We see Madonna in the famous sort of Dietrich Berry in, in, in the scene mm-hmm. where she's the go, the getting in the car and stuff. So um, I know Ben had some thoughts on his style. Well, I, I, did, I did go to the bother of writing a separate column of notes about Madonna's style, <laughs> <laughs> being a homosexual of a certain age. Yeah. And um, to summarise, I'd written down that the, 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 the styling, the I think, is really good. I think she looks really good for the most part. And she's got a sort of 40s film noir Mm. Sort of trench coat, and like you say, the Dietrich beret, and the the uh, I, I wrote here in my notes, she appears to be a, a keen on a pearl necklace. <laughs> um, I also yeah. wrote, I mean, this is this is this this is styling, but it's jumping the gun in terms of plot. But um, later on, when she's in pajamas, uh, they're strikingly similar to the ones Greta Garbo wears in Grand Hotel, which kind of sums up oh, the, yeah. the look of the uh, the film. So yeah, so I, I think I think that was one of the. The successful. <laughs> I don't know whether it was just a case of uh, you know uh, uh, Barry and Pearl's actress's own. Yeah, I, that was very much the style she was she was exploring in her own work. Well, she loves that golden age of Hollywood, doesn't she? Yeah, and she's, like, she's always preferred to it, hasn't she? So, and I think if she you know, in sort of pursuing her film career, she'd have loved to have sort of emulated a. a a revival of that of yeah. that era in oh, her oh, career. Or, or Dietrich or something yeah. like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean I think Have I like to think that they had they had meetings about the script and you know she was less concerned about the dialogue and possibly more concerned that she got a Burberry Mac or something yes. like that. And good lighting. And good lighting. And good lighting. Yeah. Um so I mean throughout Madonna's career she's always kind of gone for that old Hollywood inspiration, hasn't she? Whether it's mm. down to screwball comedy, like Who's That Girl? 
uh, or I mean, Shanghai Surprise is very sort yeah. of old fashioned in its its premise. It just was uh, utter dog shit when it when it. I th- when it was- I- uh, sorry, I was going to say that I think that that was a victim of um, what we were told. I think Martin mentioned it before about how um, the 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 concepts of the film and the script is sold that's originally sold to Madonna. It differs enormously from how the film ends mm. out. And Shanghai Surprise was certainly that as well. I think yeah. I think I might be right in thinking she thought she was making some sort of romantic love mm. story with Sean Penn, which obviously they were just married at the time and stuff like that. And I think she thought it was very much in the vein of a sort of, a, I don't know, like something with Catherine Hepburn or something mm. like that. And and the the director wanted to make like a like a sort of an action movie. So I, th- I think Body of Evidence is a, there's a similarity there. There's a mirror in her sort of career. I mean, there's a whole school of thought. I can't remember which critic it was which film critic it was, but when they talk about Madonna's acting, they refer to um, that she would have been an amazing silent movie actress. Uh, mm. Something something, something is missing with her, with her voice and her diction, perhaps, but she, she's, she's sort of got great eyes and great expressions and, um, yeah. and, a, and a, a face that's really good to light, you know, like, yeah. I, th- I think that's probably true because actually I think, you, it, I mean, this might be a bit strange to say, but in her music videos, she does act well she in does. ways that other pop stars don't. Yeah, and absolutely. Do yeah. She she's completely convincing it and embodies the characters that she's playing, yeah. doesn't she? And the emotions and stuff. And the emotions. That's, yeah. that, that's so true. That, again, I can't remember who the critic was, but it was one of these, um, I think it was like... Um, Empire Magazine, or one of these mm. very sort of establishment, sort of heterosexual, heteronormative, sort of you know, masculine. publication, masculine. That's male, right, yeah, male. And they, and uh, I could be wrong, and I am paraphrasing, so f- forgive me if this is inaccurate. But basically, the gist was that um, this critic was saying uh, someone had mentioned that Madonna's acting was appalling and her films are terrible, and they said, on the contrary, Madonna has made about twenty great movies, and they're all three and a half minutes long. <laughs> it's true. I mean, if you hold this up next to, say, Bad Girl, yeah, Bad Girl, Madonna and Christopher Walken, directed by David Fincher, is a is a like a stunning short film, mm. yeah, with a narrative with a tragic ending, yeah. and it manages to get more emotion and more more sort of uh, more of more of the essence of Madonna out in that four minutes than this film does in. Yeah. An hour and forty minutes. Um, one of the interesting things, I mean, coming back to talking about Golden Age of Hollywood and that being one of big, Madonna's big inspirations, and we, as we know as Madonna fans, we uh, we've followed her career for a long time. Dietrich has always been a big inspiration to Madonna in terms of look, style, attitude, uh, and it's interesting. In one of the interviews, we we watched some of the promo tour for for Body of Evidence today as research, and in one of the interviews, she she talks about Dietrich. And she she talks about the golden age of Hollywood, and she she refers to David Fincher, who directed Bad Girl, as her own Joseph von Sternberg. Wow, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. As she talks about yeah. wanting to work with him more, but she never did. Did she ever do a feature film with him? No, no. no. Um, and it would be interesting to see what would have happened there. You know. Mm.
in this scene, you do start to take Rebecca seriously because you think, okay, she's a woman who's being shamed for being sexual. She's being accused for being sexual. And you think, oh, now I'm starting to take this a bit more seriously now. I'm starting to believe in this character. I'm starting to believe in this film. This could go somewhere. And then she utters the line, have you ever seen animals make love from? <laughs> it's intense. It's violent. But they never really hurt each other. Mm. And then it all starts to crumble again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she uh, basically turns him on and sends him home to his wife. And then we get that really um, that really intense sex scene between Willem Dafoe and Julianne Moore. Um, where I was really distracted because we could see Willem Dafoe's cock sock flopping about between his thighs and Julianne's thighs. We did have to rewind and put this episode. <laughs> yeah, amazing. we rewound it a few times because it was either that or he had a really giant ball sack. <laughs> it was some sort of engorged gonad. Of, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, I think the wrong shape. Uh, and I love this scene because you've got his thrusting ass and Julianne Moore's given given it the full red shoe diary sex face treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's doing quite well, I think. It yeah. couldn't be more 90s, or, or, and it couldn't be um, more poorly lit for poor Julianne either. No, there's a, like a glistening line on a lip. <laughs> yeah. I think that's not a great way to demonstrate that they've just had like, you know, passionate sex. Yeah. She's got a sweaty lip. <laughs> she's got At a... least an upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> Face lip. <laughs> well, yeah. I suppose if anything, in the as a device in the film, it merely acts as a sort of a sorbet before the main course yeah. of uh, <laughs> yeah to cleanse the palace before uh, <laughs> before the meat course, shall we say? <laughs> um, and then, um, so was this the moment where you made that interesting comment Ben about people getting out of bed after sex in films? I think it possibly, yeah, I can't. I think it possibly was that soon. I think it's him. He gets out of the bed and walks over oh, him. She gets, oh, out oh, she the gets sorry. Yeah. She brushes off to shower, doesn't That's she? That's right. She gets out to him. It's feel great when you get a big cake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just turns me stormy. Yeah. It's, it's a little yeah. bit cringy, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. I was saying about how she um, she gets out of the bed and goes into the shower. And this this isn't this isn't a, a monumental thing in any way, but. Uh, um, she does it in such a naturalistic way. Usually, in any film, even even a sort of adult orientated film, when when they finish having sex and they get out of the bed, they instantly put something on over themselves to walk to the shower. And you know, when you think, who who has ever done that? Yeah. I've never done that in my life. Have you? Where after you've yeah. had somebody, you, you you go to the shower, you don't you don't put clothes on to walk into the next <laughs> room, do you? It's really strange. So so it's, that stands out that that's quite a naturalistic. Hmm. Portrayal of sexual behaviour. I mean, you don't ever get that sort of thing in an erotic thriller, don't you? It's like, it's like Michael Douglas walking to the bathroom with his flabby bum hanging out in the basic instinct, you know. Wiping his knob on the hem of the curtains. <laughs> whatever, yeah. 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 Uh, next up, we have Joanne, who's the secretary played by Anne Archer, accusing Rebecca of being a coke fiend and getting out mm. poor, defenceless, weak hearted Andrew on coke. And she says, you know, I basically saw her shoveling it up his nose. So um, Frank is furious and goes storming around to her fabulous downtown gallery to confront her. And uh, she responds by taking him to see her herbalist to show him exactly what it is that she shoves up her nose. And it turns out it's not Coke, it's Chinese peony root. Oh, it's essence of petunia. Essence of petunia, <laughs> which is an aspirin substitute for her menstrual cramps. <laughs> herbalist is quite camp, I think. Well, he makes me laugh because he played the villain in Adventures in Babysitting. 
was like, was like a tough gangster. I, I couldn't place him. him, yeah. I couldn't place yeah. him, that's funny. And he also, he's a, an acupuncturist as well, is he? Yeah. Which is obviously the perfect excuse for Madonna to strip naked behind a bamboo screen. And um, we have Pervy Frank getting a good eyeful of her in the nude. Do you think that's erotic? Um, it's meant to be. It is meant to be, isn't it? I was just wondering if you... Is it is it erotic? You know what? Right. So back into Madonna Stan territory. Sorry, listeners. But you know that you know in the sex book, mm. there's a shot of a laying laying there with um like the shadow of like a curtain over a face. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And I always associated that shot with this film. I always thought that was the moment where he looks through the screen and we see her face with like. Bit like the sh- shade mm-hmm. of a curtain over it, like pattern on a face. He's looking through sort of Venetian blinds, isn't he? Yeah, sort of but in this film, it's just, it's like a cheaper version of that. And I feel like if she'd have been shot like she was in the sex book, this would have been an erotic moment. Mm. But as it stands, it's just very pedestrian. Very yeah. Looks. Yeah. I think, I think, I think you're probably right. I think, I think the intent was erotic that you see this glimpse of her, you know, sans bra. Uh, with the Sans, acu- uh, with the uh, <laughs> acupuncture needles sticking, and yeah, I think you see that like the top of a top of her ass and yeah, and that kind yeah. of thing, and that, it's all side, very, side boob, yeah, and it's all very soft lit, isn't it? And mm. that sort of uh, that sort of how to describe the music that sort, of, the 90s, uh, that sort of that sort of nineties bow bow wow wow sort of pervy yeah it's Red Shoe Diaries music I call it yeah. Uh, as the as the as the weird teenager who bought the Red Shoe Diaries soundtracks, like I am qualified to say that. Um, so um, I think you should keep that to yourself. We have <laughs> we have um, Amy and Rachel this, but are going to do a Red Shoe Diaries podcast one day. Um, so we do get a flash of Rebecca's houseboat next. Um, nice. We see, we see a little bit of the houseboat. Nice, but we don't actually go in at this point. Um, she must have flogged a bit of art to, yeah. It'd, it'd be unprofessional to go in. <laughs> it was be it'd be unprofessional to go in. Yes, exactly. Of course. Um, so we get the, we so then after this we move to our first courtroom scene and the courtroom scenes there are too many of them. Um, they're largely dull, I think, hmm. and so did the cast because apparently two of the jury members kept falling asleep whilst filming. Oh dear. <laughs> That's probably like a real court, though. To be fair, yeah. I mean, I've I've never done jury service, but uh, I've, yeah. I know plenty of people who have, and I think that's a common experience. The two highlights for me are the DA saying she is the murder weapon itself, mm-hmm. and uh, also the judge. I think is fabulous. The the she's one, of the one of the first lines that she says where she's chastising the 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 court for for talking. I guess it's something that it, she says. Um, she says something like, shut your rude mouth or I will have you removed from this court. And, but you haven't been able to hear anybody say anything. It's just been like, rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Rhubarb, rhubarb. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Judge Mabel Burnham is played by fabulous black actress Lillian Lehman. Um, She's good, isn't she? She yeah. also popped up in Sunset Beach. Mm. So, you know. A woman of many talents. Yes, yes. I have a bit of a confession to make about uh, when you, you started off the podcast asking us how many times we'd watched it. Yeah. And um, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to watch it um, and fast forward a lot of the courtroom scenes. <laughs> so I put it on at nine o'clock 
and uh, watch all the sex scenes and everything else. Fast forward the quarter scenes, and I'd be putting something else on by quarter to ten. <laughs> Possibly the perfect way to watch this film. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so consequently, I haven't watched the entire film that many times on <laughs> on uh, on on second thoughts. Talking about the court scenes in general, they're lengthy, and I think they 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 were they're one of the things that cripple this film. Um, yeah, but I feel like on the surface of it, it was quite an interesting idea because it's a woman on trial for being sexual, for being unashamed, and for be and for having some sort of power. And I feel like the parallels with Madonna, especially in that period of her life, when she was the most hated woman in America for basically getting her tits out in a book and singing about sex and standing up for gays and all that sort of stuff. You know, those parallels could have made for really interesting viewing, but it's just yeah. sort of let down by what by the words that she has to say, you know. And other I love- <laughs> well, that's it. I, you know, much as we enjoyed this film as a sort of a kitsch, Sort of camp adventure, I suppose. It's it's never going to be um, inaugurated in the pantheon of of Madonna's sort of no. um, status as a cultural icon, is it? I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I think there was. I think you. I think part of the intention is, is that the the interplay between the court scenes and the the sex scenes is that William. Def- William Defoe's on his territory in the court, so he's in control. Yeah. Where he relinquishes all power when it comes to the to the sex scenes with Madonna. Madonna's um, yeah, the one yeah. who's completely in control. Yeah. Um and in more more skillful hands, that could have been quite that could have been quite powerful. It could have been an interesting power struggle, couldn't yeah, it? Between it them. Could. Like you say, he he's on familiar territory because he knows the letter of the law and he, he he's got the the wherewithal and the intelligence to um get a get a pleasing verdict for mm-hmm. her but she has the power of her of her sexuality that she uses with him so yeah so i, I think it, like you say in, in different hands it could have been an interesting sort of power struggle who who's really in charge would yeah. be the question that we're asking and you sort of see that whenever they have a successful day in court they then go home and shag and it's great mm. you know so you sort of see you, you see that as well, which I think is interesting. So after their first successful day in court, they head out for the posh dinner where Madonna appears to be lit in a completely different film. <laughs> um, and this is, this is the same with the, the next best thing as well. You know, when, when it cuts the shots of Madonna in the next best thing, she's lit completely different from everyone else. Yeah. Um, so it's got that like sort of panel of light just across her eyes and everything else is a bit dimmer. Um, and uh, she tells a story about scraping her knees on a fence while stealing strawberries from the neighbour's yard and how the thorns would cut her legs as she scraped down, but the, the pain made the strawberries taste so much sweeter. Um, and this sounds to me like um, it reminds me of one of the stories she writes in the sex book as Dita. Yeah, right. It reminds me of one of those sorts of stories. Maybe she has a bit of input with that. Well, apparently I, well no, that's I know she's not meant to, but this... This, this reeks of Madonna's writing. When I was a kid, I, I liked to steal strawberries. I'd sneak into the neighbor's yard at the end of the street, and I remember they had a big fence. And I'd always scrape my knees climbing over it. And then on the other side, they had these wild rose bushes. And the thorns would dig into my legs and cut my thighs when I slid down. The strawberries always tasted so sweet. 
because of how much it hurt to get them. Yeah. Rebecca, when you first met Andrew, how did you know that he, he was like you? I was at a party and there was a huge crowd of people, but we just saw each other and we knew. Just like that? Yeah. Look around. You want me to look around the room and tell you if there's someone here that has the same taste that I do? That's right. Okay. He doesn't know it yet. She's drawing it in. Mm. Um, if I had a pound for every time. And then, so you got that light across her eyes, and then when they when they're heading out, this, they, they use the same lighting effect on Frank as well, and it's all very film noir. Um, and uh, the lighting could be quite nice, but it never, it always feels a little bit like a bad TV movie throughout. Yeah. And I think it's down to the script and the direction. There's something a bit pedestrian about it. Because um, I was thinking about like Basic Instinct, it, the way that film plays out, like the story isn't a million miles away from the story in this film, but you have Paul Verhoeven in charge. It's no less trashy, but it's much more glossy. He, he took he took something very similar to this, but made it big and bombastic and cinematic with like car chases and crashing waves and murders all the time and all that. He sort of elevated the material in a way that Uli Ezel just doesn't seem capable of doing with this. No, this would have been a brilliant, this would have been a hit on the Lifetime channel. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Lifetime does erotic. It's, exa- it's exactly, a, it's a Lifetime TV movie, not a feature presentation. <laughs> so he takes her back home to her infeasible houseboat, and then despite her reading his mind that he wants to shag her, he opts to go home. But then as when he gets in the car, she steps out uh, onto the onto the veranda of her houseboat and starts to undress. And did you notice the curtains billow and it didn't look like over? I didn't notice they look, <laughs> look like a vulva. There's a moment where the curtains look look really vaginal. <laughs> so he's beckoned back in by her vaginal curtains and some sacks and breathy voices on the soundtrack. Um, he gets in, candles are flickering all over her mezzanine, um, but she sl- she slips out of the shadows behind him like Michael Myers. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> her face, the way her face materialized in the dark is exactly like Michael Myers <laughs> in Halloween. And he last welcome. Um, and she takes him from behind and um, slips herself into his mind. <laughs> when she, he least expects when it. When he least expects it. Um, so she's in the man role, taking him from behind. Uh, and uh, basically, Madonna's always going to be a power top, and Rebecca's no different. There's a sexy game of cat and mouse. She pushes him away, so he chases her. He rips her dress off, so she rips his shirt open oh, and yeah. bites his nipples. And then we see Madonna's big bona fide titties. 
he rips him out on the stairs, doesn't he? He, does. so he rips her. Uh, yeah. She's got a dressing gown on or something in there. He, he rips the top out. He rips a bra open at the centre, doesn't he? And her boobs mm-hmm. just pop out. They just sort of yeah. She she's got. A, I mean, she's got a great body. She's you always had fashion. You can't you can't deny that she, the you know she's in great shape. Um, and this is the infamous scene with the wax, basically. Now, apparently, this was Madonna's idea. She was, apparently, this was... Um, really? Improvi- yeah, apparently, this was an improvised moment. Candles, models, own. But there's a, there's a moment in this scene that, that just makes me feel a bit sick. And, and it's what when is she's, it? She's, it's when she's licking Willem Dafoe's body, and she sits up, and she starts licking her lips, but she doesn't just lick her lips once. She just licks them and licks them and licks them. I think, I don't know what you're licking. You're not like, <laughs> you're looking that far down. Yeah. And it's a bit soon for it to be for you to be happy about having to lick anything to that extent. <laughs> <laughs> well, my issue with this scene is related to that issue. And it's that she basically gets a mouthful of wax. Yes. And well, I think that's a... what she's doing. I think she's trying to like spit it out of the mouth. Yeah. Isn't she pouring champagne onto him as well? And yeah. champagne, yeah. So she's There's pouring the hot wax and then the cold champagne. And I, There's I, not I, much to lick off her lips, though. No, I no. think it would be if it was if it if it's a problem with the wax, she should be spitting on him. That'd yeah. be even more erotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very much depends on the spitting. I once stopped mid blow job to blow my nose and then carried on. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've. To do. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't bothered, but the other people on the bus were. A bit <laughs> uh, so I love the glint in her eye when she actually pours the wax on his cock, and you can see that she loved doing that, Madonna. Mm. Uh, and then she sort of gets on, so she pours wax all over his body on his dick, and then gets on his dick and rides him in a very nineties soft porn way as we see it through the drapes. Yeah, sort of billow- billowing, billowing yeah. drapes, isn't it, and candlelight, and yeah, all that stuff. but. Frank has to come down to earth with a bump because he wakes up in bed next to his wife and his body's full of wax burns. Um, so we see Rebecca left her stamp and claims her territory. So there's another court scene which I thought we'd skip through. Has anyone got any notes on that? No. No. So after another successful day in court, <laughs> yeah. Rebecca proceeds to wank Frank off in a crowded elevator. I think this is really fun, this scene. I think Madonna has got mm. like a glint in her eye. And then comes my favourite scene, which I do find genuinely erotic, which is the car yeah. park sex scene. Definitely, it's it's definitely the strongest, uh, the strongest in every way. Bunch. <laughs> it's the strong, yeah. it's the strongest sex scene in every way because, but basically, so she gets up. So the car park is pretty deserted, and she gets she stands on the bonnet of a car, takes a shoe off, and smashes the light bulb above her head so they're in darkness, and then the glass sort of shatters everywhere, and then um, so she stood on the car and he stood next to the car. And he's at crotch level. So she just basically lifts her skirt up and um, he starts to um, perform cunnilingus. I believe that's what they call it, yeah. Um, and he really does it. Yeah. Well, he's definitely in there, isn't well, he? Well, Willem Dafoe is like really, his face is, is, is against her vagina and he's licking. It's it, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think they really went, you know, really go for it, kids. And they really did go for it. So in an interview on radio in America, Willem Dafoe was asked, uh, you know, was that real? Was there any body doubles involved and stuff? And he said, no, it was all us. And they said to him, what does Madonna's pussy smell like? 
and he said it smelled like ice cream. Wow. Oh, yeah. Chocolate or strawberry or... <laughs> Pistachio. <laughs> Pistachio. <laughs> Mushroom. Quite naughty. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote some notes about this film because um, I, I don't know if this is this is possibly not at all relevant, but um, visually it reminds me of a couple of things, and uh, I think what I think what you're saying is right. I think it is the most sort of erotic, the, the you know the the semi darkness of the the car park and the the, the sort of semi public space and all of that. You know, I can totally get on board with all of that, and 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 the fact that they really were going for it, or at least appearing to be, yeah. Um, but I think visually, I think I don't know whether it was just because she pulls her skirt up and she's got these mm. stocking tops, and it. it was like sort of Helmut Newton, yeah, sort of aesthetic. And it also reminds me of do you ever remember uh, the music video for Duran Duran song "The Chauffeur," which yeah. is like, do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, the two girls, yeah, the two girls. There's a car in a car park, and it's it's that kind of it's black and white, and it's again mm. it's all very Helmut Newton and sort of sexually ambiguous and. Uh, I think I think there is tits in it as well. I think it was controversial well, at the time because it was, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a, quite a mainstream pop group with a with a sort of arty mm. titty video, you know. And it just reminds me of that. Um, and I think possibly because visually, it's possibly one of the more successful yeah. scenes in the film. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, totally. Yeah, but it reminds me, it had that sort of feel for me. It's interesting talking about that scene and about. You, Willem Dafoe's really going for it because when Madonna was asked about sex scenes and doing them, she said it it just all felt very scientific. That was the word that she used. Yeah, and Willem Dafoe yeah, said that, yeah. he was turned on by every single sex scene that he did with her. So yeah. It's just like it's. Do you think that reveals something about <laughs> about their personalities? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a great moment, isn't there? So, so she smashed the bulb so there's glass all over the bonnet of the car, and then she presses him down on his back so the, he's grinding into the glass and he's bleeding. Mm. Yeah, and she sits on his face and rides his face, um, and um, the smashed glass and the sex made me think of the strange vice of Mrs. Ward. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a scene in that where yeah. she, she's remembering when her lover um, basically he smashes like a bottle of champagne over her. Well, she's naked on the bed and the glass, the, the shattered glass covers her body and there's blood mm. and stuff. And it just made me think of that. Um, well, yeah, hot scene, hot, hot scene. Well, every girl should experience eating out. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. Then we get next courtroom scene. Frank Langella turns up as Jeffrey Roston and he's an ex-lover of Rebecca's. And he says his sex life with her was very intense. Uh, he says she was always trying to get him more and more worked up despite his heart condition. But then he had heart surgery, which fixed the problem. So she then left him. So obviously this lends credence to the idea that she's some black widow who likes to fuck men with weak hearts to death for their money. And he says, you know, sex was a game to her. She always used to tell me it had to be her way. And she says that earlier in the, in the candle wax scene as well, doesn't she? She says to Willem Dafoe, my way. So then, at the same time, we get Julianne Moore's character, Sharon. She's absolutely raging because she's heard rumours that Frank is shagging his client behind her back. Um, and there's a moment here that always shocks me. You know the bit where she's arguing with him and she turns around and walks right into the waitress with all the cups? Oh, yeah. Yes. 
and everything crashes to the floor. It's the sound effects that it's so loud. I just really, I mm-hmm. feel like it's really real. I'm just yeah. like, oh God, the, and the whole girl. restaurant stops. Yeah. <laughs> the music stops. Yeah. 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 Um, so we have sort of just, so Julianne Moore is like the voice of, you know, the poor conservative buttoned up straight laced wife. And she's, you know, what did she do to you, Frank? What are those marks on your chest? It's like she's talking about a vampire. Because you, you, think, you think actually he's got away with her not seeing the marks, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, after that scene where he, you know, he wakes up in bed with his wife having had the wax on him. Yeah. And we've seen the marks. But he's covered it up with his towel as she walks into the bathroom. And you think she hasn't seen it, but it, it's actually quite, it's, you know, it really underlines that sense of her being that conservative wife of you just don't mention those things until it really, really yeah is forced yeah. You into t- your turn face. A blind you, eyes you, yeah, you turn a blind eye and don't speak about it because it'll be fine. It'll go away. I mean, t- your you know, face is rubbed in it. Then it'll you. take a few days to fade. But I mean, so I'm yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Julianne Moore here as the epitome of safe white middle class heteronormative family values being invaded by perverse Madonna. And Willem Dafoe is the cheating husband, but painted as somehow the victim, <laughs> being mm. led into a world of depravity, which is a, uh, it's a familiar trope, isn't it, of the subgenre? So it's like Michael Douglas and Fatal Attraction. Yeah. You know. Um, and then we have the really bizarre moment. So he goes around to confront Rebecca. He finds out that Rebecca called Julianne Moore at, at work, um, basically, you know, saying, where's Frank? So uh, he goes round there, storms round there to have it out with her, and then gains the control back by effectively mm. raping her up the arse. Yeah. So what do you think of the corrective rape scene, Martin? <laughs> it's superfluous, <laughs> really. He could have just smacked her, or yes. I don't know, they could have done anything to to symbolise him getting you know, the, the balance of power shifting yeah. rather than him raping her and anally raping her. But do you think um, every, do you think every um every sort of film producer out there at the time who watched this film who hated Madonna really loved seeing that happen to her? Yeah. And I think they you it was probably they probably convinced that as well that it should be done, that it pushed the you know, it, it pushed the envelope in a in a similar shocking way to Sharon Stone uncrossing her legs and exposing yeah. you and, yeah. and exposing her fanny to the it world. It's tempting to be shocking just for shocking sake, though, and the misogyny and the, the, um, the, to, to use a device like rape as something that's, that's sort of part of the titillating erotic nature of it, I think is quite, Distasteful. Well, it's putting it? her back in her. Uh, it's, put, it's putting her back in her place. It's putting her back in her place. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly and it, it. Yeah, and it's, and it's it. Go on. It's that thing that rape you that that we probably only are just moving away from now, even though it's been known for a long time. It's that that, that it's wrong. That that rape is um, rape is depicted as an erotic act. Yeah, but it's sexual rather That's than being, I mean. yeah, rather, yeah, than, rather than being violent. Yeah, you and you. That's that's very much of its time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I suppose that's, that that makes me think of that. There's the um, 
the Oscar Wilde quote, isn't it? About everything is about sex, apart from sex itself, which is about power. Yeah. It's um like you mentioned Sharon Stone uncrossing her legs in Basic Instinct. When she uncrosses her legs, she is not offering herself up and she is not vulnerable. She is she's taking control back in the situation. Yeah. She's in using the driving season. Sexuality. She? Using her femininity. Um, and that was that's the sort of the difference. I mean, this scene basically happens in Basic Instinct because Michael Douglas gets really pissed off, so goes and rapes Gene Triplehorn up the ass mm. in that film. But he's still the hero of the film. Um, so in that way, you know, they're not a million miles away from each other. It's just no. that that film was delivered with a lot more panache than, than this one. Um, and of course, in keeping with the theme, Rebecca says no, but he does it anyway. But by the end of it, she's smiling and enjoying it because of course she is. She's learned her place and been dominated, so she must enjoy. That's the message that we're getting here. Um, is that, do you think that's also just a way of the decision to use that as a device to misogyny and so on is it's a way of them justifying it that if as long as they show the characters enjoying it then it's okay yeah do you see what i mean yeah well it keeps us yeah. it keeps him as the hero until the end of the films doesn't it that's like that's what i mean he yeah you know like you were saying before about his, his, the morality of his character is is really questionable but never questioned <laughs> never questioned no it's yeah. it's it, it, it's as it's as distasteful as hair morality in reality, yeah. when when we get to you, when we discover the the sum total of her morality towards yeah. the end of the film, yeah, yeah. But I suppose at this stage we don't know that because we don't. No, we, we're no, we still, don't. I think throughout the film we're supposed to be thinking: is she? Isn't she the murderer? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, I think you're supposed to not really know until the the defining moment yeah. at the end. Back at court, and um, before Rebecca. Rebecca basically wants to take the stand because she feels like she can, she can fight her own corner better than anyone, mm. which is very Madonna. Um, uh, she has a great line, uh, which I really like. I think it's actually really some good writing. It's just that in the context of this film, it doesn't mean anything. But uh, the line is uh, when she talks about women and how, uh, that women hate me. Uh, she says, women hate me, they think I'm a whore. And the men see a cold, heartless bitch they can pay back for every chick that's ever blown them off in a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that line. And then she has that that funny scene with them. Um, so before she takes the stand, she has a scene in the in the ladies' loo with Julianne Moore, <laughs> um, where she's basically the brazen hussy being slapped by mm-hmm. the hairs, all American mother Julianne Moore. Um, how do you think about what do you think about the way she's dressed for this? Where she takes the stand, she's all demure, isn't she? Because she's very yeah. Well, she is too, haven't she? She never wears. I think it's the same tone sort of throughout. You never wears anything that's uh, remotely. Um, you never see her, and you know it's not like she's in sort of thigh high latex boots no. and a chainmail bra. True, and, yeah, yeah. You know, with a sort of barbed wire corset or anything like that. You know, she's she's very. She keeps that sort of demure look. The only time, uh, she, you know, she's having her clothes ripped off her, or she's naked, or whatever. You know, yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I think in the courtroom scene, she's obviously. Um, I suppose the character's trying to show herself as respectable. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, expressed through her dress rather than what's been given in evidence about her sex life or yeah. her, her, her moral character or lack thereof. She's all she's all buttoned up, isn't she? And her hair is all pinned up very tightly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. She's definitely yeah. dressing for her her courtroom audience. Yeah. 
So she, um, so this is the scene where Madonna, Rebecca Carlson is defending herself, explaining herself. And this is probably the scene Madonna, when she read it, thought this will be the scene that they play on the Oscars nominations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, never quite worked out that way. There's a really interesting Screaming Queens connection for us with this scene. So Madonna based her performance on a Hitchcock courtroom drama called The Paradigm Case. And that film concerns a beautiful young woman accused of poisoning her older, richer lover. And you can never quite tell whether she's guilty or not. She's got that, you know, quality, that femme fatale, mm. icy quality where you can't quite read what's going on. Um, anyway, so the actress she's based her performance on is Alida Valley, who went on to be in Suspiria as the oh. iconic Miss Tanner. She of the teeth. She's the dead man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I love it. I quite like that little connection. That's yeah, a, that's a great piece of trivia. Yeah. I have to say, I, I do actually think she, Madonna pulls it off when the, she has that moment where she breaks down over Jeffrey mm. Austin. Yeah, I think she does. It's a consistent capsule of acting that she pulls off. She's definitely having a go at her sort of witness yeah. for execution, sort yeah. of, uh, you know, yeah, heartache and all of that. So um, quite a tenuous sort of twist to, to sort of save her on. But basically the twist is that she left Jeffrey Roston not because suddenly his heart condition was fixed so she couldn't fuck him to death for money. She left him because she caught him in bed with duh, 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 another man. Mm. Um, and for me, that kind of sums up how not progressive and how sort of backward this film is. Mm. It's such an old-fashioned trope. It's basically like saying, you know, we've shocked you throughout this film with all of these loaded details of nipple clamps and perversion but we're saving the worst for last duh, 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 he's a gay <laughs> um, he's one of them bisexuals and it's like basically using his sexuality as the final sort of freak show shock basically yeah. sexual kinks um, depths of depravity yeah yeah even she can't stick around yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah so depraved even rebecca carlson uh you know turns her nose yeah and there's the a bit of, a bit yeah. A bit of a man. There's a bit of me. There's a bit of me that thinks, oh, you know, Madonna, the ultimate gay ally, and all that, and she's, mm. and here she is <laughs> in in a film like this that that sort of treats sexuality and queerness in that in that way, really. Um, but I think it's a you know I think it's a case of like you were saying before, Martin, about I don't think she quite got that when she read the script. No, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Um, so this made me think, so this whole section made me think of um, when it was out, how America would have felt about sexuality at that point because of AIDS as well. Mm. Um, and I feel like that, that whole subgenre, you know, the um, you know the erotic thriller, sex, sex equals death, that sort of exploded with the Fatal Attraction, mm. 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Onwards for like the next five to ten years. So it's, um, post, it's yeah. post-Reagan era. Yeah. It, you've got George Bush Sr., another Republican, yeah. in power. It's a very, very, it's still a very, very conservative time. Yeah, yeah. and inherently homophobic yeah. and, uh, and misogynistic. And... So all of these films were born of that fear, weren't they, basically? Yeah. Um, so... But, it's just reinforcing that message, isn't it? That if yeah. you have sex, you will die. Yeah. yeah. Which, you have sex and you'll die. Which is the sort of right-wing agenda. Isn't it? Totally, yeah, totally. And, if and you should be punished. And you should be punished. Should. And God help you if you actually enjoy having sex. Yeah. 
So the so for me, the interesting thing about this film is like Fatal Attraction was very much based around the affair. So so it was all about Glenn Close as a bad bad evil woman. Um, Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct that was all based around a an affair and b a possible murder with an ice pick. Mm. So you know, bad bad sexual woman. But this one isn't really just about Rebecca Carlson. It's about kink. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one actually pits buttons up conservative American family values against not just Rebecca, but the lifestyle of, of someone who isn't what fits in. Yeah. So it's like it's taken on the other, it's taken on the kingdom mm-hmm. lifestyle, it's taken on anything that doesn't fit that little perfect Norman Rockwell mold of what what it should, what sex and love and family should be. Do you know what yeah. I mean? The film, I feel like the film doesn't really know what it's about in the sense that it doesn't. Um... Like we were saying before, if it, what what you think is going to be the the sort of the, the viewpoints and the and the standard position, it turns out it isn't, and it is more conservative and um, sort Quite of reaction, negative than it, than you than you, you like you know. We, this is all linked back to the stuff about uh, it's possibly not the the film that Madonna thought in the first place. Yeah. You know, she would be attracted to something that was sex positive and showing women to be empowered and in charge of their own mm. sexual de- desires and yeah. and all the rest of it. And so what if they like nipple clamps and, you know, it's a big deal, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but really, like you like you were just saying, it's it's just showing that people who like that sort of thing are deviant and, you know, guys, it's even worse if, you, if you're into sex with members of the same sex and... Uh, well, they are literally dragged out in front of a courtroom and humiliated. Yeah. Over yeah. and over and over throughout the film. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Not that it matters in any way, but Rebecca gets off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rebecca is found not guilty of the murder. Um, but then obviously it turns out, spoiler alert, it turns out that she is an evil murderess. She and Dr. Paley, who's played by uh, Jürgen Prochnov, who we haven't mentioned because he was mainly in the boring courtroom scenes. Um, so basically he was Andrew's doctor and they worked together. So she was fucking to death and they would share the will money. When the doctor finds out that she's been fucking the lawyer too, she has another classic line. And she says, don't look so hurt, Alan. I fucked you. I fucked Andrew. I fucked Frank. That's what I do. I fuck. <laughs> so obviously... <sighs> Uh, he shoots her. <laughs> yeah. Well, she has to die. She, she must die. The she, slut must die. The slut must. She has because to be martyred. The martyred slut. Another story. <laughs> so he shoots her because she basically hangs him up to dry, doesn't she? Because he's at risk of being prosecuted for perjury. Um, for some reason I can't quite remember, but he is. He's he's at risk of being prosecuted for perjury. So she's reneging on the deal to share the eight million. Yeah, that's right. Dollars. Yeah, to keep it all. That's yeah. right. I, th- I think that's basically a sort of fuck you all moment. I don't need yeah. any of you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all the money and I'm gonna have a marvelous life. And you know, I'm off to Disney World or whatever. Yeah. And then, um, obviously, this enrages the uh, the men that she's involved herself with. So, is it true, Martin? Have you heard the story that they did test screenings of the film where she survives and gets away with it, but? The people in the test screen and really wanted her to die. Something along those lines, yeah. And that was you. The end, the the happy ending was what attracted Madonna to the film. Yeah. Because I think it, you, 
for all that build-up of the, the conservatism and the humiliation of people who are sexual, the, you, the positive ending was that she didn't die, she didn't get punished. Yeah. Um, you know, and it may be, you know, I'm not knowing exactly what that happy ending looked like, I'm guessing would have potentially just you cast a, you raised a mirror up to the audience to say you've made all these judgments as well but look how wrong you were yeah yeah and then they've you know, they've done those test screenings and it it's a you know, people aren't necessarily that sophisticated so they just think and they hated Madonna yeah so yeah we want to see her dead <laughs> so in a 1994 interview with Face magazine Madonna basically says um the uh, the death about about Rebecca's death. She says, "I fought it every step of the way, but I had no control." Woman who has sex must die. That is the theme of that movie, but it wasn't that way to begin with. She says, "I'm disappointed in it, but I'm not sorry I did it. I think I did a good job, but I got the blame for everything. It was like I wrote it, produced it, directed it, and I was the only one acting in it." And then in another interview in Cosmopolitan in 1996, she talked about two different endings being filmed: one which in which her character lived, and one in which she died. And that they went with the, as she calls it, misogynistic ending. She said, film is a director's medium. In other words, try not to work with a director who hates women. In my case, that means I'll be photographed badly and end up dead in the end. Well, I think that's not without justification, is it? I I think that's not without justification. And it's interesting that his film prior to that was um, Exit to Brooklyn, which in the book and in the film, there is a gang rape. See, yeah, it's so great. If you've ever seen that film, it's so incredibly, it's just, it's all, it's really, really grim. It's really incredibly awful. There is something in that, I think, around respect for women and how you just you, you depict yeah. those things. Uh, it wasn't a box office success, and she bore the brunt of the criticism for it, didn't she? Like, you know, you were just saying about her yeah. quote there, saying that, you know, she wasn't the only person in it, it was the director's vision. They seemed to have, they seemed to get off scot-free, and it was because it was, in the context of her wider career, she she was the, the whipping girl du jour, wasn't she? Yes, it was uh, no pun intended. It was the, <laughs> it was a... a the third element of the trilogy of um, sort of erotica, the sex book, and then that, and the, there was a huge backlash against so against anything she did. So she she could have made it. It could have been a great film, and it probably still would have been um, universally panned because she was she was a figure of um, it's almost like she, she was a figure of sort of sort of hatred the media at the time and the, and the public at large, I think. Well, I mean, and, and also it was a really busy time. Like the thing about Madonna is no matter how much hate she gets, she carries on going. In fact, she mm. just does more. Um, and when you look at the amount of stuff she did in that space of time, she did The League of Their Own, Erotica, Sex, Body of Evidence. And then just in the same year as Body of Evidence was released, Dangerous Game, a.k.a. Snake Eyes, yeah. that premiered mm-hmm. at the Venice Film Festival that same year. And then that came out. Um, and in that film, it's not a great film. It's really um, like Abel Ferrara's other films. It's quite raw and pr- quite pretentious, if you ask me. But she's yeah. brilliant in it. That's, I think that absolutely it's, 
Abel Ferreira is very pretentious, and it's exactly you've prescribed it perfectly. It's pretentious, intense nonsense, and you and it's it, like an endurance test, isn't it? It is, and the film even more, much, much more than and more overtly than body of evidence. It reeks toxic, yeah, machismo all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never and seen that. Is it? Is it like that film where? What's that film where the um, uh, the woman throws the milk all over the U-Bahn station no, in Berlin? Not. Possession. Possession. No, no, it's, yeah. not, it's not like that. No. It's not like that. Oh, that's, so that's, that's what was making me think of when you described it. It's so. It's very. It's a very indulgent piece. I mean, Abel Ferreira is one of those directors who. Only works with a very loose script quite often, and he certainly oh, does this, and he gets his actors to improvise. Yeah. And actually, out of all aspects of the film, I think Madonna, in this terrible mess of a film, and it's dreadful, actually is the sh- is actually genuinely the shining light. She She's does really good. She does. She does. Does a really good job. Yeah, she does. Um, but. Anyway, so Body of Evidence opened to terrible reviews. <laughs> uh, it got uh, it the the budget was thirty million dollars and it grossed just over thirteen million dollars. Oh dear! Um, it got nominated for six Golden Raspberries. Oh dear! Worst picture, worst actor, worst director, worst support on actress, worst screenplay, but only one person won best worst actress. Oh, I wonder, I wonder who that could be. Uh, she won that. Um, but basically, I mean, it's it's quite it is quite telling when you look at some of the promo for the film. I feel like there's a hint there because, like, she talks, she she goes to great lengths in one interview of really differentiating between this film and sex, the sex book and erotica. Mm-hmm. And she really talks about how when it's her own project, she can control everything and make sure it's good, basically. Yeah. And but with film. She has to do as she's told, and she says she's never in charge. She never demands the best lighting and all that sort of stuff. I don't quite believe that. I think she probably does demand it. But oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then she also said that she, when she got the script, she thought it was just okay when she read it, and she was unsure of whether to do it. But then she said when the director and Willem Dafoe were attached, that was when she said yes. Hmm. Um, which makes you think, you know, so she probably did see... She thought that they would elevate it in some way. So obviously when she read the script, she didn't think it was great. Mm. Um, and then there was another quite telling, we watched a um, press conference with the, uh, in the promo for the film. And in that, they a, a journalist asks about her character. They're like, you know, can you tell us a bit more about Rebecca? And she, Madonna really struggles to, t- to talk about the character. Gosh. All she manages is she's an outsider. She never fits in with the community. She uh, And then she's like, uh, oh, she owns a gallery and she loves Chanel. And <laughs> that's basically all she says. And that uh, fits in. There's a story that uh, her acting coach actually gave up before the end of the film, before the end of filming, because Madonna was saying, I've learned all I need to. Um so given that and her approach in some of the interviews, I do wonder whether she wasn't really taking it that seriously. Yeah. Janae did. You know? Maybe, yeah. But then how do you take that script seriously? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, nobody nobody sets out to make a bad film, do they? No. Nobody sets out to do, no actor sets out to do a bad job. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
this is just after the peak of her career, the actual pinnacle of her career, isn't it? And yeah. she's just she she crashes out of her imperial phase, and I wonder you if that's just like a little sign of maybe there was a bit of complacence there from her. Yeah, it's very possible. I think there's possibly a chance that there's a chat. Yeah, like she was rising so high that she was basically thinking, "Well, I can just do anything now." Yeah, um, and then you'd only find out that. You only learn that mistake the hard way, don't you? Yeah. Mm. And films like Body of Evidence, poor choices in films. Yeah. Like Body of Evidence. And collaborations are going to get your ass kicked. There was definitely a point. She was past, like Mark was saying, she's past her imperial phase, which I guess was where everything, every project she seemed to do, the next one was bigger and better and got more attention and was hugely successful despite the controversy or in, or because of the controversy mm. in some cases. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the sex book was derided everywhere, but it sold out overnight. Yeah. Mm. Erotica album was panned. It was a number one album. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the she sold the show at the Cannes Film Festival with um uh Truth or Dare, uh, embedded mm. Madonna, didn't she? And, yeah. and loads, loads of sort of, in inverted commas, serious actors were yeah. annoyed because it was a documentary about a pop star rather than a film. Mm. And you know, in a, in a, uh, yeah. in another sense, and uh, and this is sort of the perhaps the, the beginning of the end or the end of the mm. beginning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I suppose when when a lot like I've been looking back at old interviews from around this time, and everything that was written about her. Almost every interview that was done with her, there's this underlying f- sense of who the hell do you think you are? Yeah, the, and it's mainly men, um, mm. and they've got this resentment towards her. They fucking hate her. Um, there's like a Q magazine from 1994 where they rip bedtime stories to shreds, and then there's an interview with her where all of the all of the questions are really snarky and snipey. Even the cover, even on the cover, there's a picture of Madonna. And it says, Madonna talks about music with a question mark mm-hmm. as if she doesn't know what music is because she's not a <laughs> musician. Um, and so all that was surrounding her for so much of her career and was at its highest point when she made this film. Mm. So what makes me a bit sad is that by making this film, she fed that beast. Yeah. Because she made a film written that was full of, the script was full of misogyny. And you know what I mean? She made a film where she was a demonized woman who had to be raped up the ass to put her back in a place. Mm. You know, and I feel like I, I, I think that's just a bit of a shame that she yeah. did that really. Yeah. Um, and that, that sure. that's not, you know, the fact that she might not be the best actress in the world, that's completely separate for me. Yeah. That's separate. You know, I just think that's a bit sad. That's true. I was trying. I was hoping to bring. Uh, I had. I had. I, I couldn't quite put my fingers on it, but I had a magazine from um, that period, an Empire magazine, you know, the film oh, magazine, yeah. and I know that has a review of Body of Evidence in it that wasn't favourable. And I was hoping. I, I okay. just couldn't put my fingers on it in time for for the podcast today. But I managed to remember some of the stuff. I mean, this is paraphrased because I haven't got the actual um, quotes to hand. But there was a couple of things. 
a couple of critics at the time writing about it, and one of the one of the ones that stuck in my head was they describing the film as an erotic an erotic thriller that is neither thrilling nor erotic. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a sleazy queen's film selection, I think this is an interesting one. I think it's not it's not bad enough to be a trashy camp classic the way like Showgirls is. Yeah, um, it's just a bit shit. Yeah, some genuinely enjoyable moments in it though. Some of the terrible dialogue and so, it is enjoyable. The men lie and the yeah, you know and animals fuck and all of that is 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 enjoyable. But there isn't enough of that, like you say, to make it a camp classic in the vein no. of, of of showgirls or what have you. There are moments yeah. in there that are interesting, though, as Ben said, and I think it's a really interesting watch for someone who is interested in a Madonna. Um, be erotic thrillers from the 90s but also say um, as a time capsule of what it was like then mm. to, for the film to explore sex and kink and you know the quote unquote the other um, it, what, could, it could have really been ahead of its time couldn't it, it? Could, I mean it, well it could have been but it basically it wasn't a film about that problem it was a film that was that, that was that problem yeah absolutely you know? yeah. Um, yeah. it it is just a, it is a reflection of those times where things were so liberal that those those subjects could be depicted on screen, but you would have that debt at you. They would be presented in that um, in that very conservative reactionary way. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, but there we go. Anyway. Um, does anyone else have any other? Do you want anything else you want to say? I do just have one more thing that we we haven't touched on yet, which uh, was a piece of trivia we wrote down about when they were filming the oh, yeah. um, sex scenes. Uh, we we have this information from the horse's mouth that um, Madonna insisted on them playing uh, Led Zeppelin "Whole Lot of Love" <laughs> in the background <laughs> while she was filming. I think the candle, yeah, the candle scene, and possibly the. Um, uh, not the the car park scene, possibly the um, the corrective rape scene. <laughs> yes, yeah. Cool. Which was uh, and I just thought it was an interesting footnote. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Apparently, Julianne Moore said that Madonna method acted in this film <laughs> to the extent that she retained character outside of the actual when they were working. So does that mean she was sort of hanging pictures and uh, <laughs> hand, hand, yes. hand, 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 hand around volavants and things like that? <laughs> yeah, hand around volavants and then fingering herself. Yeah, <laughs> fingering herself with a volavant, or, or maybe, or maybe the other way round. Who knows? <laughs> um, well, but apparently, she she was so in character she wouldn't speak to Julianne Moore. Uh-huh. Julianne Moore was terrified of her. Brilliant! Oh, Brilliant. that's great. That's a great story. And they didn't really I, I speak. That's true. And they didn't speak until they did that that bathroom scene. Wow. Well, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. That, that would add to the, the free son of hatred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah, a little shout out to a lot of the other people who talk about this film in retrospect and talk about, oh, poor Julianne Moore made this film. Uh, hello, Julianne Moore chose to make this film and she's yeah. pretty crap in it too. Well, she probably didn't have a gun to her head, did no. she, to be fair? Exactly. So, yeah. so, you know, she. Uh, she yeah. You know, she well, turns up on the first day and all yeah, that. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, no. Well, I always enjoy watching it anyway. Yeah, me too. And it does zip along. It does. It does. Uh, it's got a good pace to it, despite the dreary courtroom scenes. Um, Absolutely, it's got a good pace to it. So yeah, I recommend it if you if if you want to do a deep dive into nineties mm. thrillers. 
Um, it's certainly not the best, but it's it's not the worst. I, I think there are worse, probably. Oh yeah, it's no basic instinct, but I think it's also it's no sliver either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sliver did have William Baldwin's uh, bottom, very yeah. nice. Yeah, and Shadowstone. For me, it doesn't come close to uh, uh, the hand that rocks the cradle and um, <laughs> what's the one with um, Julia Roberts? Sleeping with the enemy. Sleeping with the enemy. Sleeping yeah, with the I love that one as well. Oh. <laughs> Um, well, that was wonderful, boys. Thank you very much. My Thank pleasure. you. So, Ben, hello. Uh, where can people see your work online? Can we just also? Can we, sorry, can we just throw in Ben's or the connection to Madonna as well? If you want. Oh, yeah. So, in 2015, Madonna did the Rebel Heart tour, and during the Rebel Heart performance, she had like a selection of artwork up on screen behind her. And she used one of your pieces, didn't she? She certainly did, yes. In a very prominent moment on the chorus, I, I <laughs> Well, I'm not sure about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was definitely there, yeah. She personally chose your work to be used. <laughs> she did, she did. Which I did. never did get it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you thieving bitch, get it back. It's probably in a gallery in uh, Portland. I, I, well, let's hope so. Or on the houseboat. Let's hope so. <laughs> I, hope, I hope there's people stood in front of it with, with cheap pink wine and volavants as we speak. Um, so where can people get you on Twitter and Instagram and stuff? Uh, they can find me at Ben Uden Art on Twitter uh, I just found Uden uh, Y-O-U-D-A-N uh, same handle on Instagram yeah and uh, if, and Facebook and all of that if you if you, if you, search, if you Google Ben Uden Art you will find me if you want to speak to me and if you Google Ben Uden Art Madonna you'll see the amount of uh, wonderful Madonna portraits he's mm. made amazing ones <laughs> I know, Martin, it's been great chatting with you again. We've had like a little break, haven't we? Because basically yeah. when I've been using this this uh, software, when there's more than like two or three people, it just implodes and it takes us like four hours to record. <laughs> so I'm trying to just do like one or two, two or three people at a time. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, that's great. But finally got finally got the Countess back on air, so that's good. Um, great. Yeah, where will you be if people want to get hold of you? Um. I'll be on a houseboat on the Leeds Liverpool Canal. Will <laughs> <laughs> you be handing out volivons? <laughs> handing out volivons on the bank of the Leeds Liverpool Canal by near the near the Strand. Lovely. Little I'll, strand. Have, I'll have mushroom, no salmon for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you, boys. And if anyone needs me, I'm at Johnny Larkin on Twitter. Or you can find the three of us hanging around a car park waiting to smash the light bulbs. <laughs> and you know what happens next. I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm just getting my hold up, so I was in my bag now. <laughs>